Transmitting from the Mojave Wilderness in Joshua Tree, California. Now is the time for Desert Oracle Radio, the voice of the desert. Night has fallen on the desert here at the tail end of the dog. The dregs of 2018, this strange and wretched year. Please listen closely to the following information. Because of the government situation and the funding problems and the various scandals and the investigations and an increasing sense of unease and dread, certain facilities and areas of our natural monument will not be available during your visit unless you plan to stay here a long time. Or unless something happens to you and you wind up staying here a lot longer than you hoped. The visitor center is closed until further notice, as is anything with running water or a lock on the door. Administrative offices are closed, as are all the restrooms with flush toilets. All campground reservations are canceled, although you may find that volunteers at your particular campground are attempting to put people in their reserved campsites. Disagreements are to be expected, but violence has thus far been minimal and mostly under control. Unless, of course, your campsite happens to be one of those frequented by the rock climbers. You will need to visit one of our local gift shops on the highway if you want to buy stuffed toys of bighorn sheep and coyotes and scorpions and centipedes and rattlesnakes and tarantula hawks or any branded park merchandise such as shot glasses, baseball caps, bumper stickers, first aid kits, baby wipes, bottle openers, hoodies, flip-flops, hair nets, pantyhose, protein bars, etc. As there is already no food or drink for sale within the natural monument, you are still on your own should you get hungry or thirsty. You are still on your own. Lonesome Triangle Natural Monument is a land of contrast. From the eerie and forsaken low desert to the mysterious and forlorn high desert. The high desert portion, however, is the most popular on social media. The Joshua Tree is a tall, grotesque yucca plant and a beloved symbol of our high desert bioregion. But as fierce as the Joshua Tree looks, it is in fact quite delicate, barely attached to the ground by thin and shallow roots. Do not attempt to climb a Joshua Tree. Do not hang a hammock from a Joshua Tree. Do not back your two-wheel drive SUV suburban utility vehicle into a Joshua tree. And try not to back into any people or wildlife or boulders or billboards or what have you. Just don't. 
violators will be fined and imprisoned. And even if you're not caught by a ranger, you will be seen by the various menacing spirits and specters of this land and haunted accordingly. Please pick up and pack out all of your trash, including beer bottle caps and marijuana pipes and hamburger wrappers and sleeping bags and small children. This is Park Information Radio for the Joshua Tree High Desert. Welcome to this natural wonderland where the fortunate visitor may encounter a variety of flora and fauna including people from San Diego changing outfits in the middle of Boy Scout Trail to meet the requirements of their Instagram sponsorship agreements, and entire groups of people who have apparently never been outside a city in their lives and therefore think the middle of a public dirt road is a fine place to park their car or pitch a tent. Many visitors make the mistake of being afraid of rattlesnakes, which are mostly hibernating this time of year. Rather, visitors should be deeply afraid of local human residents. The most dangerous of whom neither hibernate nor go to sleep at all. As all flush toilets are all locked up within the park, it is a felony to need to use the restroom during this federal government shutdown. Just hold it in, you'll be back home in modern civilization fairly soon, probably. During this now-common interlude of long-term governmental and societal collapse, we encourage you to use this moment in time to show that you can behave like a reasonably responsible adult when allowed to wander around outside in the desert without somebody in a smoky bear hat holding your hand and telling you all the things that you are not allowed to do. In the inspirational words of Woodsy Owl, the great naturalist and founder of the American National Park System, give a hoot. Well, let's open up the Desert Oracle mailbag. This one is from Matt Gagnon. I might be getting to it late, but of course we make no warranty regarding timely answering of Christmas season letters as I am not Santa Claus. I hope the holiday season is treating yours well. My wife and I have been talking about doing some light adventuring with our three-year-old son over the holiday break. When St. Nick brings Southern California adults the gift of semi-manageable roadways. Our objective, maintain parental sanity and visit beautiful locales around Joshua Tree that are relatively easy to access. Any recommendations? I've never been to Big Rock and Landers, but it seems like low-hanging fruit to impress a spirited wildling whose primary interests include garbage trucks and flashlights. Well, first of all, is giant rock. Big rocks are all over the place up here, so we call the very big rock giant rock. It's just a very big rock on the side of a dirt road, a landmark in the area, a place of some historical interest, but hardly the loveliest sight in the region. 
but if you go to the Integratron or to the Landers Brew Company or anything up there, Giant Rock is close by and a piece of it fell off some years back and there's some graffiti and junk here and there. I don't know what you would do there. Now and then I drive past it and I guess I always think, well, there's Giant Rock. A three-year-old could appreciate it as much as anybody. Now here's the thing with kids, which I learned like every person who winds up with kids. Until about age eight, when what little attention span they have is given over to a phone or a video game system, a human child needs very little to be happy. Although it should be noted that a human child also needs very little to be unhappy. In that way, they really aren't so different from human beings. If you've ever driven by a daycare or an elementary school, you may have noticed that the primary outdoor activity, besides beating each other with sticks and screaming for no reason, is to sit in a wooden box and play with the sand within. It is the height of fun. And after many years of taking my own small children to beautiful and scenic places in the desert and the forest and the mountains, it became apparent that they did not really care one way or another, as long as there was some sand on the ground. You could be standing at the Grand Canyon or Half Dome or the Eiffel Tower or the Statue of Liberty and all the child wants to do is play in the dirt. Which is fine, it might be as good as it gets. I developed a theory that children can only see about five feet away. And I told a pediatrician about this once and she just nodded and looked at her computer in that way they do when you've really introduced an interesting new idea. The good thing about the desert is that it is basically a very large sandbox. Wherever you go, there will be sand, especially by the roads and the houses or anywhere mountain bikers and off-road dune buggies go. As those devices turn desert wilderness filled with plants and animals and uh, plain old sand. The problem, because there's always a problem, is that the sand tends to be filled with red ants and bugs and centipedes, along with lots of nails and broken glass and shotgun shells and broken vaping devices, the fruits of our civilization. So you have to sort of pick your sand pile with care or make the child wear boxing gloves or other protective gear. But everything is relatively easy to access out here especially in the natural environment. Just walk or climb or crawl or whatever, and you'll be there. And here's something that might be useful. Maybe the only thing. With all the visitor centers closed for the national park, if you want to take yourself or your friends or a child to a visitor center experience, go to the High Desert Nature Museum in Yucca Valley. It's right there near the old closed down Food for Less. 
There are lots of dead, stuffed wild animals to look at, bobcats and etc. And there are some activities. And best yet, right outside is a Yucca Valley Park with a big playground. Slides and swings. Why don't they ever put playgrounds by National Park Visitor Centers? Approximately one four five degrees. 
the California desert is mostly unsuitable for agriculture there aren't a lot of foods associated with the place but in the low desert what we call the Colorado desert even though it's in southeastern California the age old American desperation to turn everything into a business operation expressed itself in the importation of Iraqi date palm trees to the desert around Palm Springs, California, which already had native California fan palms. But while our native palm tree does produce bunches of small fruit the size and color of blueberries, and while California tribes and all kinds of wildlife have long depended upon this food source, it's a lot different than those big, sweet Middle Eastern dates. Like the ones that killed the Nazi monkey spy in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Los Angeles food writer, former LA Weekly food editor, and smart mouth podcast host... Catherine Spires dropped by our office in Joshua Tree recently where she told us all about the weird history of Iraqi date palms in the California desert. And she also told us about her favorite food of the low desert, 
the date shake. The strange roar you may hear in the background is traffic on Highway 62, which is why our regular Desert Oracle radio studio is located in a secure, undisclosed location far from the bumper-to-bumper holiday traffic. The history of the date shake is sort of the history of American imperialism. The reason that there are date palms in the Coachella Valley is because in the 1880s and 1890s, the U.S. government sent botanists abroad all throughout the world to go see what was growing in other parts of the world. And in the newly expanded United States, where could they plant the seeds of those same plants? And so some botanists were bankrolled by the government. And what they found out is that date palms created delicious fruit, the date, and that it was the same environment as the Coachella Valley. So when they first came back, they brought seeds from the date palms, um, and those didn't take. And so they went back, and they took cuttings from the date palms. And these things weighed something like 80 pounds, I believe. And they stashed them on a boat, and... They brought them back. There were people who were looking for farming opportunities, of course, all over California, and we tend to think of the more verdant areas of California when we think of farming. But it turns out that date palms were just naturally suited to this area. And there were some, it started with small farmers coming out, and it was, you know, a, a luxury product, these dates. And they had all different kinds. We normally see medjool dates, but there were lots of different kinds imported from the Middle East at the time. As Palm Springs got a little bit bigger, and they were, I'm assuming, thinking about other ways to make money for the town, and they hit on tourism, they really went all in on the Arabian Night idea. Thousand and one Arabian nights and the veil dances and all this sort of thing. The they had a date festival that had actors walking around in the sort of stereotypical Aladdin and Jasmine costumes. It was to increase tourism. It was it was the draw. It was like you come here and you can eat dates and you can see how we grow them. Shield State Farm, which still exists, created a video about date farming and they very cannily called it the, what is it, the sex life of the date. There are boy trees and there are girl trees. And they have to be hand-pollinated, the girl trees do. The reason that you see ladders up the trees, those are um, so that people can climb up the tree and pull what is basically the husk of manhood from the male trees. And it weighs about 10 pounds. And so they come down from the male trees with that and then they go up the female trees and spritz the pollen directly onto where the fruit will be. This is kind of a dangerous activity, so you'll still see ladders tied to the palms, but usually the workers, the palmeros, are going up in more like a forklift contraption than just climbing up ladders. It was such a good marketing tool for a couple generations, really decades and decades. The art that was on boxes of California fruit was actually a marketing tool, a move to California. But you know, the high school's mascot is the Mighty Arab. The fruit still has that, the packaging has that same iconography on it, and clearly the high schoolers still call themselves the Mighty Arabs, which is strange and outdated. Some would say that the drawing of the mascot that they have is offensive. You know, the beauty pageant queen, I don't know how to pronounce it, Shaharazad? When was the date shake developed? Sometime in probably the early 1920s. I believe it is the Hadley Fruit Orchards, which is on the way in from Los Angeles 
to the desert. Um, I think that they take credit for it in 1923, which means that probably a lot of people started doing it at the same time. That's how food inventions normally work. And it takes refrigeration and oh, yeah. electricity. So yeah, absolutely. Those developments had to come in. Funny you should mention that because the recipe actually always specifies very cold milk. And then some of them call for nutmeg, but oftentimes it's just the milk, the vanilla ice cream, and the dates. It's not always fresh dates. They figured out how to crystallize dates. What is your favorite date shake? Is it Hadley's, or is there you know, a fancier one you like? My favorite one certainly isn't fancier, I don't think. I'm actually a little abashed about this one. But the Living Desert, which is the zoo, at their little snack shack next to the goats that you can pet. They have a date shake that's just wonderful. It sounds so simple with just the three ingredients, but the thing about dates is that they actually do taste like chocolate and caramel. And I know I sound like a big hippie (laughs) right now, like fruit is candy, but they really are wonderful. Just abandon its national parks and monuments and offices and duties and functions. What will be abandoned in the coming year? All the bridges and airports and subways and railroads and interstates and economic systems are already falling apart. So maybe we'll just abandon those things completely in 2019. Have you ever thought about doing a shutdown yourself? Like next time you get a propane bill or a car registration renewal, just write government shutdown on the envelope and throw it back in the mailbox or just throw it away altogether. Everybody's tired of going through the motions. Maybe that's a good New Year's resolution. Closed due to shutdown. It's like one of those great old philosophical riddles. Why is it closed? Because of the shutdown. Why is it shut down? Because it is closed. One of the many things that children rarely understand is that when the chicken attempts to cross the road, the other side is not the other side of the road, but the hoped-for, but as yet hypothetical, other side of death. The chicken, like some poorly written comic book character in a Disney movie, is existentially saying to its companions, I'll see you on the other side. You've been listening to Desert Oracle Radio, broadcasting from Joshua Tree, California, Fridays at 10 p.m. across the Mojave, on KCDZ 107.7 FM. Hear it on the radio from Manboy to Isaacs, available everywhere as a podcast and distributed worldwide by Public Radio Exchange, PRX. Thanks to Red, Blue, Black, Silver for another year of musical soundscapes. I'm your host, Ken Lane. Happy New Year, hopefully. And good night 
from the Voice of the Desert. <laughs> 